everyone. Welcome to a Hot Stove League edition of Red Leg Nation Radio. I'm your host, Chad Dotson, uh, finally back with another uh, podcast. And joining me tonight, another longtime editor at Red Leg Nation, a guy whose writing has appeared in numerous other outlets uh, other than, uh, than Red Leg Nation. He's my friend and yours, Jason Linden. How are you today, Jason? I'm, I'm good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing, uh, doing fantastic. And uh, we're going to dig deep into the Hot Stove League and the winter meetings and the t- recent trades and all things Cincinnati Reds in just a moment, but there's something else we want to discuss here at the outset, and, and I'll go ahead and, uh, because we had talked about it on Twitter a little bit the other day, uh, full disclosure, this is the second time we've recorded this podcast, and uh, technical difficulties that were entirely my fault and not Jason's uh, caused us not to be able to, to do this, so um, we're going to be repeating ourselves to each other uh, somewhat, I think. Uh, but it's all new to you. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about here is uh, called When the Sparrow Sings. Jason has uh, a novel coming out, I think, tomorrow. He'll tell us all about it. Um, you may have read uh, parts of it. Maybe you've read the whole thing at uh, the Hardball Times where it was published serially, but it's coming out in print tomorrow. I could not be more excited. Uh, it, it, certainly it's not just uh, any novel, it's about baseball, so it's uh, right in our wheelhouse here. Jason, tell me a little bit more about When the Sparrow Sings. I, I know you're more excited than I am, so I'm going to turn it over to you. Um, okay, well, um, you know, kind of doing, I guess, um, take two of this. It has been, it will come out tomorrow. That's firm. It's all is set. Um, in fact, I can say now, because this podcast is not going to go up tonight, that it is, in fact, up and available for purchase. One can search for it on Amazon, and it's there. Um, we're just holding for our media blitz tomorrow morning. Um, so we've got various promotional things planned, and it's coming out. Um, you know, it was an interesting um, how it got published, which is that, you know, Hardball Times is reformatting, and I had this kind of idea, and I it was not nearly done, nowhere near done, and, but I pitched it to them, and they liked it, and I showed them some sample pages, and they got on board with it, and and, uh, and off we went, and, and, and as you noted, published it in Serial. The, the last chapter will come out tomorrow on the website as well, too. So no one's read the ending yet except for uh, me and my wife and the editors. Um, so otherwise, no one knows how it ends. Um, but what it is, it's a book, you know, the, the premise of it is, and this is where my idea for it came from, was that uh, I thought it would be fun to write a novel, fun in quotation marks, based uh, that took place entirely in one baseball game. Uh, and, and the premise I had for that was, here's a pitcher, and he's entering the World Series, and he's a good pitcher. He's the ace pitcher on the team, and so, you know, they expect him to pitch. And then right as the League Championship Series is coming to a close, uh, right as it's come to a close, his dad dies in a car accident. Uh, and so then, how does he deal with that? And he feels like he has to pitch, and he feels like he doesn't have a choice. Um, and that doesn't give anything away. That's, that pretty much comes out in the first paragraph of the book. Um, but he does elect to pitch, and, and it's it's tough mentally. And so a lot of the book is him dealing kind of with that struggle. Well, it's, it's a very interesting uh, topic. And, and I'm just going to say here that when I read, uh, and, and again, full disclosure, I've told you this. I'll say it publicly. I've only read the first chapter. I read the first chapter at uh, at the Hardball Times, and which I guess was the pregame chapter. And... Uh, and I thought, wait a minute, hold on. I'm gonna I'm gonna wait and read this whole thing when it comes out. And had an idea at that time that we may uh, see a print edition of this at some point. I thought I'm gonna wait, and I look forward to purchasing purchasing it uh, on Amazon ASAP. But uh, my first thought, of course, is getting ready to go to the World Series. That's awful optimistic for a Reds fan to be writing about the World Series. Well, sometimes we have to live in a fantasy world, right? <laughs> fiction, exactly. <laughs> Unfortunately, that may be fiction. Um, 
The other thing that struck me, and you and I have talked about this, which is the, the, the storyline that goes through it. Obviously, as you said, contained within one game, but uh, it's so much more than just just that game. And, and, and talking about the relationship between, uh, between Zach, uh, your pitcher, and his father and, and sort of his emotional struggles with what went on and, and, uh, and how he's processing what is happening there before the World's Game 2 of the World Series, along with uh, you know, just processing how he got there in terms of his father's influence. And I told you that that's something that, to me, struck a chord, because it's something that that father-son relationship in, in baseball is uh, uh, it's time, it's a timeless story, and you've got sort of a unique spin on it. But, you know, my, my father and my grandfather got me into, into baseball, and, and I wasn't uh, a great player, certainly, but, uh, but that's how I was introduced to it. And I'm uh, Chris Garber, another one of our editors at Relic Nation, always calls me a, a gooey Field of Dreams uh, baseball fan because I'm, I'm all about the uh, – player analysis, the advanced statistical analysis, but I'm also, I've got that emotional connection with the sport, and, and I'm finding that now that I've got a son who uh, just turned 10, and he's playing uh, fairly competitive travel baseball, and we're spending every weekend doing that, and I'm struggling as a father with, I don't want to be that father that pushes him and pushes him and pushes him and uh, and sort of ruins that relationship. I want baseball to be about, uh, you know, father-son relationship without it, uh, some of the I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for is here, but uh, seedier aspects of how fathers and sons uh, participate in the competitive. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how you deal with some of that because uh, clearly uh, your your pitcher here has gotten to a very high level, and I'm looking forward to seeing how he processes his father's role in that. Yeah, well, it's you know it was interesting to to kind of play around with it, and um, and again we have talked about this before, but um, you know Zach's Zach's father was not what you would call the ideal parent. Um, you know, he, he definitely pushes it to the limit at times and you see some of that in the book, but you know, at the same time, Zach ends up, you know, at pitching at the highest level, at the highest level, you know, he's, he's, you know, Cy Young level pitcher. And, uh, you know, he, there's constantly the struggle. How much of this is my dad and how much of this would I have achieved if he hadn't pushed me like he had. And then, you know, that's the thing that, as we, as we kind of talked about before, all parents, I think, face that at some point. Because, you know, kids at various times want to give up on stuff. And how much do you push them? And how much do you not, you know, do you let it go? And it's complicated. And you never know if you're if you're making the right choice at the time. And, you know, I mean, Zach's father, Ed, rather obviously, doesn't make the right choice all of the time. But there's always that that challenge of what do you do? And so, you know, I always kind of hope that, that in most circumstances, Fences I make characters complicated enough that people find themselves kind of sitting on the fence about how they feel about them. Um, oh, I, I think like, that's. I, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say I think that's uh, you got a good opportunity here because there's so many uh, gray areas in this relationship, uh, and, and honestly, uh, you know, and my, the chances of my son ever playing the major leagues are slim. I mean, he's not that good, but. Uh, um, even if you were, you know, just do you push him and then take a chance on him being uh, 30 years old and resenting uh, everything you stand for? Or, or, you know, would you rather him enjoy the game, have a fun little high school career, and then when he's 30, you're sitting at uh, Great American Ballpark watching the game together? And, you know, that's a that's a tough, uh, tough situation. But I'm, I'm really, uh, again, I, I'm sorry that I haven't actually finished the book yet, but I wanted to I wanted to get the whole thing at once. And I'm sure I'll devour it, but I really look forward to seeing how well. you how you manage all um, that. I'll, I'll note as I, that I'm, I'm not at all offended is, um, I have lots of friends who did exactly what you did, which is they read the first chapter and they're like, no, no, I can't wait 11 months on this and read a chapter at a time. 
I'm just going to wait until it comes out and then buy it, which is totally fine with me. If everybody buys a copy, I will have no complaints. All right, go buy it. <laughs> yeah, go buy the book. Um, um, and I can't read in serial either. I can't stand it. I know uh, one of my favorite writers, Michael Shaben, had a serial novel out several years ago, and I read the first couple of installments, and then I just had to wait for it to come out because um, I couldn't handle it. Yeah, I'm, I, don't, I don't read like that. And uh, I joked the last time we did this podcast, uh, and again, it's new to everybody that's listening now, but uh, you're, the, uh, you're the Charles Dickens of, uh, of Red Leg Nation. How, how was it writing serially? Uh, you know, like Dickens did in terms of putting this together. Did it change the way you thought about the novel? Did it change the way you? Uh, well, did it change? The, and, and this is just speaking uh, as someone who's curious about the, the the craft of writing. Did it change the way you? Um, not outlined it because I know we've discussed that, but the way you. Uh, what do you think it would be a different novel if you had not uh, published it serial? Um, serial. I think it certainly would be, and it was you know it was an interesting. Process and, and and I did think about the Dickens thing early on. He sort of, if, if you're a writer or an English person, you know I'm an English teacher in in uh, off of the internet. That's what I do. That's how I pay my bills. <laughs> right. um, but you know, if it, everybody who's in my position knows that Dickens wrote serially for almost all of his stuff, and and if you read his stuff, it has a, a real particular rhythm to it. There's kind of this climax at the end of every. Uh, installment. The word the word cliffhanger incidentally was actually invented based off of a Dickens novel in which he left one of the characters at the end of an installment hanging off of a cliff. Uh, that's where that word comes from, uh, <laughs> amusingly enough. Um, but writing it, it was really... Okay, we had some tef- technical difficulties. See, I can't even pronounce it now. Technical difficulties again, and so for the third time. We're going to try to see if we can't continue where we were. Jason, uh, I apologize for wasting all your time, first of all. Second of all, let's get back to talking about your books. You were, you were answering my question about uh, the current book and whether it was a different, whether it would be a different book uh, as it, since you wrote it uh, serially, like Charles Dickens, uh, rather than uh, sort of straight through. And if we repeat ourselves, sorry, audience, but uh, it's entirely my fault. Uh, are you ready to dig back into that? I am. Uh, uh, as I recall, you said I was I was explaining the root of the term cliffhanger, which is that Dickens once ended a chapter of his book with someone hanging off of a cliff. Um, and I was just talking about, again, if I repeat myself, fine. And, and by the way, Chad, you're allowed to waste my time promoting my book all you want. <laughs> I guess um, so. Uh, but, um, yeah, I do think it would be it would be different because I had to – think about the the arc of every chapter because you know there's the knowledge that that some people at least would read this and not see anything for a month and you don't want them to to leave it at this kind of sort of odd middle point or you know something that 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 feels anything other than okay we've gotten to the end of something um which kind of you know i I like to write long things and so that kind of ran against my uh against the grain for me a little bit but I, i think it was good for me but um i'm glad as i've said a few times to to no longer have to kind of have that arc with everything that I write and, and I'm glad to not be looking for synonyms for how someone can strike out or ground out to second anymore. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to, it's, it's nice to be freed of it, but I think it was a, it was a good experience for me to go, to go through. Well, again, and I don't know what we've said and what we haven't said, but let me tell you this. It's an amazing book. I I've only read the first chapter, but it's an amazing book. Everybody go buy it because I have wasted all of Jason's time trying to talk about it on here because it is an interesting uh, topic. Before we, uh, Move on to the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, you know, I want to ask you about uh, occasionally, 
you can maybe tell me more about this because you're now you're a published uh, author. Occasionally, you know, you write a good book and you're you're lucky enough to get some guy to um, give you a blurb for the cover or for the back cover. And uh, were you able to do that with this book? Yeah. Well, the idea behind the blurb is is basically that you you convince a, a better known writer to read your stuff. And hopefully they like it enough to say, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll you give you a quote and you can put this on the back of your book. And, and as it happened, someone you may have heard of by the name of Joe Posnanski uh, agreed to read this for us and, uh, and, and liked it quite well based on what he gave us. And, uh, you know, that was a, 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 big, uh, a big honor for me. Uh, you know, the, the story, and we are repeating ourselves a couple of times now here. But that's We've fun. had so much great yeah. stuff that was really spontaneous, <laughs> and, and we're ruining it by having to repeat it three times. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. But, the, you know, the, the, the story is, you know, and, and what I've said is that I have this shelf. My dad's a, a woodworker in his, in his spare time, which he has a lot of now that he's retired. But um, he, uh, he built me at one point this really nice bookshelf, which holds about 75 books, which is not that much if you're an English teacher. And uh, it's got nice glass fronts and, and all of that. And, and I put the, on it the books that, uh, that have been the most meaningful to me and the most moving and kind of stuck with me. And <clears throat> there's a lot of stuff on there that you would expect of an English teacher. Michael Shaben's up there and Tolstoy's up there and Margaret Atwood's up there and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But also up there is, uh, is The Soul of Baseball by, um, by Joe Posnanski. He's one of probably 20 or 30 authors who are uh, currently living who's on that shelf. Uh, and so that's that's a big thing for me um, to have him agree to effectively it's you know it's effectively he's agreeing to give my book a positive review uh, you know which is what he's done and, and and you know it's it's not like we give he agreed beforehand he's like no you know I'll I'll read it and then we'll see so he read it and and, and liked it and uh, and that's great um, and you know. He, you know, like as you've talked about, I think you'll probably take over the gushing over uh, Mr. Posnanski here in a second. But he is just a hell of a writer. I mean, he's, you know, there's always you always worry as a writer when you're not when you're struggling to get published, and even if people around you are telling you positive things, that you know, you're always kind of worried that you suck. <laughs> and so to have somebody come out and say, no, you know, you're good, you know what you're doing, you really can write. Um, that that's meaningful, and that's that's a big thing, and it's something I definitely uh, appreciate very much from him. Yeah, no question, and you're right. I am going to take over the uh, the gushing over uh, Joe Posnanski. Uh, you know, uh, Joe Paz, who, uh, as we talked about, although no one was able to listen to it, uh, is really more than just uh, the best sports writer in America. This guy's a legitimate, uh, a legitimate writer and a legitimate, uh, yeah, I'm going to say national treasure. That may be overselling it, but um, Posnanski was a guest on uh, Red Lake Nation Radio at one point when he had this book coming out uh, about the uh, Big Red Machine. Great book. Go get it if you if you need to. And, and, and frankly, I'm going to be honest, I... <laughs> sort of uh, embarrassed myself as a fanboy. I don't do that, uh, but I embarrassed myself uh, a little bit in that uh, I, I just gushed over this book, The Soul of Baseball. And, uh, you know, I can't oversell that book enough because uh, what a, what an impact that had on me. And, and again, it's, it's my favorite baseball book, but it's one of my favorite books, period, as you noted about your shelf. And so uh, when you told me that... Uh, Poznanski had uh, done a blurb for your book. I was like, I was literally, well, okay, not literally through the roof, um, but I, I went. I was really just extremely excited for you because I knew how uh, 
to me how impressive that was. Um, okay. This guy who, who frankly knows what good writing is, uh, because he engages in it, uh, you know, on almost a daily basis. Uh, this guy has said, "Hey, you know, this book is good," and that's a that's a compliment. Uh, I think you said in our, our previous podcast. That's a you know you want great sales whatever and it's not going to be quite enough just to know that Joe Posnanski thought it was good but the fact that he did think it was good that's it means something to people who uh, sort of uh, respect the craft of writing and who respect good writers and again I was I was through the roof excited for you and uh, it's just a, a testament to what you've been able to put together uh, with uh, with when the Sparrow sings so awesome man yeah yeah and you know. As I said, you know, if anybody has not read this old baseball, oh God, go buy that book and read it. Um, just because, oh, but you best, you know, you you said I think that it was the best sports book you've ever read, and I would I would agree with that. And just flat out one of my favorite books. You know, my wife, who's a casual baseball fan, pushes it on people whenever she gets the chance, and just you know, just a wonderful a wonderful chronicle. As I said, I I will freely admit that I wept at the end of that book, and. uh and if you don't, if it doesn't get a little dusty at your house when you finish, then I don't think you really have a soul. <laughs> no soul <laughs> whatsoever. That's a good it's, thing. Really? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I really uh, – I knew uh, Buck O'Neill from the, the baseball documentary mostly. Uh, but uh, to really get to know uh, Buck O'Neill through that book uh, and, uh, you know, of course, what happened to him with him not getting into the Hall of Fame. Just uh, go read it. Go read it. If, if you haven't read Poznanski yet – Make that your first stop. You guys, if you're listening to this, you're probably a Reds fan. If you're not a Reds fan, I'm really not entirely sure why you're listening to us right now. But um, you're going to want to read the uh, the Machine, which is a great book as well. But start with the Soul of Baseball. Uh, just just amazing. So uh, so Joe Posnanski thinks you are the greatest writer in America. That will go with that. Sure. Yeah. Best. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yes. Definitely. <laughs> All right, well, we'll get back to the book, and uh, we've got several things and, uh, that we still need to talk about with respect to, to your book. But uh, if you're ready, how about we dig back into the Cincinnati Reds? Yeah, they had a busy, uh, busy hour and a half there this week, like the day after we recorded this for the first time. Uh, that, that's true. We did. We recorded this the first time around, and uh, we, you know, the very next day we were like, oh, man, we probably need to do an update. You actually mm-hmm. emailed me and said, we probably need to do an update. And little did you know that my uh, – my computer had screwed things up so that we had to record this whole thing again. Um, and the only way in which that is fortunate is that the Reds had uh, an interesting week. We uh, Walt Jockety, of course, made a couple of big trades at the uh, at the winter meetings. The first one we will talk about, obviously, he traded Matt Latos. We want to discuss that in a moment. But he traded Alfredo Simon, uh, who is maybe not exactly our, our favorite Red for various reasons. But uh, they traded him. For a couple of guys that, as it turns out, aren't that bad. The first guy is a shortstop, uh, well, an infielder, but uh, probably a shortstop for the Reds, Eugenio Suarez, or Eugenio. I, uh, you we'll know, we'll I, figure it out. We'll, we'll learn all. We'll figure things, it out, right? Listen, listen. You, you hear this ridiculous accent I've got? Nobody <laughs> expects me to pronounce names correctly. Come on. Hey, look, uh, in, in 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 one of these takes, I heard you use the word uh, apoplectic. So you can only you can you can only <laughs> lean on your accent so much, Chad. Thank you very much for pointing that out. I I do use the accent to make people think I'm I'm uh, not, not particularly smart, but uh, I'm glad you pointed out that I actually used a, a big word. Um, but Suarez and Jonathan Crawford, right-handed pitcher. Uh, were traded in exchange for Alfredo Simon. Now Suarez is uh, is pretty exciting 
pretty exciting guy. Crawford is a guy that got uh, some of the headlines, actually, because he's a former first-round pick. But uh, I guess the way we'll dig back into this is that were you as blown away as I was that we got real value for Alfredo Simon? Yes. And, you know, just, I mean, to quickly articulate all the reasons, I mean, you know, uh, Simon has had a lot of uh, sort of legal issues, you know, and that was, uh, we dealt with that kind of extensively at Red Dog Nation back in April when it happened. Um, and, you know, it, kind of interestingly, you never know, but you hear a lot of, the Reds never acknowledged it at all, which is, uh, you know, interesting on, on a number of levels. But then also his his peripherals for this year were just never that good, you know, he, he had the kind of numbers that would really impress you if it was 1987. Uh, but it's 2014. And so, you know, it, it, correspondingly, it's just kind of a, uh, wow. You know, he, he looks like somebody who next year is going to, you know, he might be a passable fifth starter. Maybe. Uh, and so we will see. Uh, but I, I can't believe, you know, the Reds got to me what looks like a very good pitching prospect and somebody who should probably be their starting shortstop next year. Uh, you, you know, um, and much as we both have defended Zach Cozart at times, his offense has gotten to the point where the defense is not making up for it. Um, and, and Suarez, well, he, he, he looks awfully good. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Suarez, again, if you'd have told me you got a, a possible starting shortstop for Alfredo Simon, I don't think either one of us would have believed that. But uh, but but Suarez, he's not going to be defensively as good as as Matt Latos. You mean? Matt Latos. <laughs> Did I really just say that? Did I really say Matt Latos? Zach Cozart. I, I have heard that Latos plays a pretty mean shortstop, though. <laughs> Probably. You know, what do I know? Oh, gosh. This is ridiculous. We're doing this a third time. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> he's not going to be as good defensively, I wouldn't expect, as, as Cozart. Again, who we have defended and who is really an elite shortstop, yeah, one of the I, best. I love Zach Cozart. He just can't be 40% below league average with the bat. He, right. You know, if, and, if, if he's 20%, great. Stick him in every day. But, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> not, no, not, no, not. no. And, and, yeah, you know, you and I have defended him, but he's gotten worse at the, at the plate every year. And it begins to get difficult to defend him, despite how outstanding he's been at the plate. Suarez, this guy, uh, 22 years old last year in Double A AA and Triple A combined. Here, here is uh, combined numbers for Double A AA and Triple A: 288 batting average, 360 on base percentage, 510 slugging percentage. And um, as our buddy Doug Gray has has noted, solid plate discipline throughout his minor league career. Some doubles power, not maybe not home run power, but doubles power. And um, if he can just sort of, you know, sort of be average <laughs> or somewhere around there defensively. This is a guy who's a huge upgrade offensively over what we were getting out of shortstop, and given how bad our, our shortstop problem ha- was with the Reds last year, probably an upgrade at shortstop on the major league level immediately. Yeah. And we're not even talking about the first-round draft pick the Reds got as well, the, the pitcher yeah. in this trade. So for, for Simon, who's probably a reliever or a, a fifth starter, they may have just gotten a pretty, and he's not Barry Larkin, but a pretty good hitting shortstop. Yeah, and it's, you know, uh, the the early returns on the defensive numbers are at least look pretty good based on what we can see. I mean, we've only got 80 games in the majors, but um, you know the the numbers that I've seen have him has him as roughly average at shortstop, which is not bad at all. And and you know uh, Doug Gray at, at at Reds minor leagues and and uh, also Carson Sestouli have done work and that's basically shown that 
plate discipline carries. If, if you have plate discipline in the minors, you'll have it in the majors. Um, and so that's, you know, it's, it's one of the things that the skills that seems to transfer really well to the major leagues from the minor leagues. And so if he can continue to walk, he's walked at kind of, you know, eight, nine, ten percent ish in the minor leagues. And, and if he can do that in the majors, then yeah, I mean, we, the Reds have somebody who they can pencil in every day and, and hopefully not, not be too worried about. Yeah. And, and we brought that up last time we talked about, uh, and talking about, and we'll probably get back into the left field situation, mm-hmm. uh, later in the podcast, but you, you'd mentioned that you thought, Jesse Winker, given that his plate discipline has been so good, could be at least uh, passable as a uh, as a left fielder in the major leagues next year. And again, we'll get into that, but that really excites me to have a shortstop that can get on base first of all, because yeah. it's been a while, um, and to get, to have gotten him in in exchange for Alfredo Simon. What's that all about? I, I don't know. It doesn't make any. I don't. I mean, you've you've said that the that people who follow the Tigers were just completely flabbergasted that that. They got Simon for what? For somebody? It just, it doesn't even make. I don't understand it at all. Like I just, yeah. I, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know what magical potion Walt Jockety gave the the Tigers front office. But boy, that was that was a fantastic trade. Um, by you know, it, it, people have said you know everywhere, and you know, I've seen it all over Twitter that they basically would have traded Simon for for a sack of baseballs, and and to get. A potential starting starting shortstop and last year's first round draft pick from the Tigers. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, I you know, it, it makes no sense, right? It, you know, it's almost it would have been like a year ago. I don't know the Reds trading like Devin Mesoraco and uh, and one of their you know sort of hot starting pitching prospects to the Tigers for uh, you know a marginal player, and it, I just I don't understand. It's 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 really it's really insane and uh, and I would have taken I would have taken just about anything just to get rid of uh, Simon and so to get a possible uh, starting shortstop it, it's it's sort of crazy uh, and and the other guy as you know Jonathan Crawford he's a he was a 2013 first round draft pick he throws hard he supposedly uh, has a good slider uh, you know um, even if he's just a a relief pitcher uh, in in the future he's probably a uh, uh, you know, a major league guy, and, and you know, and 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 could you know, who knows? His ceiling could be higher. So, uh, the only explanation for the fact that the Reds got these guys for Alfredo Simon is that somebody was asleep at the wheel in Detroit. I mean, this isn't 1979 anymore. You know, the fact that he was an All Star and had 15 wins shouldn't matter. Probably should be obvious to yeah. everyone who has any uh, any brain that. You know, uh, there are other reasons why you should have red flags on Alfredo Simon. So we give Walt Jockety a hard time, but kudos. This is, an, as far as I'm concerned, amazing trade. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you know, if I were any other GM in baseball when I saw that trade go down, I would have picked up the phone and called the Tigers. <laughs> like, hey, <laughs> right? Hey, you know, what you got? We got anything you're interested in? Let's let's talk. Make me an offer. Yeah. And we're not talking about you know the, the team that hasn't had any success. Yeah. They've been pretty successful lately, and uh, Jockety fleeced them as far as I'm concerned. Oh, I'm just totally agree. Uh, amazed. Uh, the other the other trade we had was obviously Matt Latos, and of course Matt Latos. I'm a fan of Matt Latos. You're a fan of Matt Latos. He's uh, he's been a, a pretty good red, and and you know I would have had been okay with seeing him in the Cincinnati uniform for uh, the foreseeable future, but. The Reds traded him to the Marlins, the Miami Marlins, in exchange for a right-handed pitcher, Anthony 
Desclafani, Desclafani, something. Uh, we'll go, we'll go <laughs> that. Right, and a, and a catcher, uh, uh, Chad Wallach, and uh, you know, I, I don't have any problem in theory trading Matt Latos. I'm I'm really one of these guys that says nobody should be yeah, untouchable. Trade anybody. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you, if you get better, you can improve your team. Right. Uh, I don't have. I, I love all these guys because they wear the Reds uniform. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd trade them in the right deal. Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, this trade not as big a immediate uh, reaction of oh wow, uh, Jockety, uh you know won this one, but it's one that uh, you can maybe squint your eyes a little bit and say hey I can see how this helps the Reds. Well, and you know what? One of the interesting things in that uh, in that trade is you know. The, the debate in, in among the Reds community, at least, has been, you know, is it going to be Latos or Cueto? Is it going to be Latos or Cueto? Everybody's felt like the Reds were going to trade one of those guys, I feel like. Um, and so it ended up being Latos. And, you know, in terms of for the immediate future, I think that's that's a good idea, much as I love Matt Latos, just because we saw that two-mile-per-hour drop on his fastball. And, you know, when, when Cueto's been hurt, he's been hurt, but when he's come back, his stuff has always been there. You know, he's been throwing like he always throws, Maybe a little rusty, but you know the velocity was there and whatnot. But Latos lost serious velocity. Two miles off your fastball, all of a sudden, you know that that raises a lot of red flags. Some potential shoulder red flags, and and, and shoulder injuries are the career-ending injury of choice for pitchers right now. So you know it's 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 kind of a nerve-wracking thing. And you know I saw at least one projection system has Latos and Desclafini. If you give them comparable innings, as roughly equivalent next year. And that's not based off Matt Lato's past so much as what his peripheral said this year and, and that drop in uh, um, and that and that and that drop uh, that we saw um, in his in his velocity. So you know, it, it maybe doesn't seem like the greatest trade in the world, but it could all, it saved the Reds money and it could be the kind of thing where middle of the uh, middle of the season next year we're like, well, we didn't we didn't lose anything. Yeah, and and you and I are, are I think feel the same way. We're, you know, we're we do not intend whatsoever to criticize Matt Latos. We're Matt Latos fans, and uh, you know if he can get back to what he uh, hey, has been the last I few mean, years, he'll... no no Reds fan is ever going to forget when he came in on short rest for Cueto. Right, you know, yeah, that was that was and pitched well. That was that was a big deal. Um, yeah, he's a he's a he's a bulldog and a guy that will I'll remember fondly certainly uh, wearing the uh, the red and white. Um, but you mentioned his velocity slipping, but you know his his walk rate is up, his strikeout rate is down. You said the word red flag, and and you got to think there are some reasons to have real concern. Now he may come back out and be completely healthy next year and win uh, twenty games to use a, a nineteen seventy eight uh, term and and be fantastic. And frankly, I wish Matt Latos nothing but the best. I, I always felt like he uh, tried to try as hard as he could to be a good. Uh, a good red, and I don't have any issues with uh, with Latos, but um, his velocity is down. He's and, and and not just barely down, you know. Yeah. Uh, two two miles per hour. Yeah, he didn't lose is, a couple of tenths. He lost, you know. Yeah. That's and that's just God. When that was going on last year, I kept expecting to hear. I mean, we've seen it, right? And you know, we saw it with Nick Massett. We saw it with with Sean Marshall. It's been all over baseball. And it just something about Matt Latos. I just feel like next year he's going to come up with a hurt shoulder. Um, I just I have a feeling I you know don't particularly have anything to back that up with but it it concerns me and you know I'm not am I glad to see him gone no 
in terms of next year, would I much rather have Cueto than Latos if I'm betting? Yeah, I really would. <clears throat> and, and, and one year ago, we might have said the opposite given Cueto's injury issues. Uh, but again, Cueto comes back, and when he's healthy, he's nearly unhittable. You know, yeah. second in the Cy Young voting this year, and just an amazing year. And I would not be surprised to see the Reds, although they're having money issues, try to see what they can do to. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, Cueto wins the Cy Young last year in in probably nine out of ten years. It's just Clayton Kershaw, you know, <laughs> right? Who? Yeah, you you can't you can't complain about losing to Clayton Kershaw. That guy. No. Um, Discalfini, Discalfini, whatever his yeah, name one is. One of those. We'll we'll get it by. We'll get it by spring training. We'll figure it out. But uh, you know, I'm I'm thinking this guy's got a legit chance of being the number five starter for the Reds this year, and. Um, Given that the Reds have, uh, we forget about Sengronica's injury issues, but also some really high-level uh, minor league guys that are Stevenson and you know, et cetera, that are close to being major yeah. league ready. I mean, so the Reds could afford to lose a, a starter if it helps them get better. Yeah, I feel like I mean, Desclafini's probably you know he can probably fill the four or five role, and and just based on what they have in the minors between. Stevenson and uh, and Singrani and God, I can never. I, I have a, a mental block against remembering the Cuban pitcher's name that they signed. Is it Guillen? Um, yeah. yeah. We've also got Michael yeah. Lorenzen, who's pretty close. Yeah, to being yeah. I mean, I I, and, I can't believe that uh, they can't cobble together, uh, you know, a, a, a solid back end starter from from those yeah. guys over the course of the year. Even if you're just kind of calling various guys up and down at different times, I think they'll be fine. Well, the question is going to be whether the financial flexibility that they uh, have from uh, from the deals they've made, including from uh, non-tendering guys like uh, Ryan Lit- Ludwig, or uh, actually paying Ludwig and uh, Jack Hanahan to go away, yeah. basically, you know, a um, little bit uh, better financial shape because still they've, they've emerged from the winter meetings and have not addressed the issue in left field. But they've made some moves that maybe give them a little bit more financial flexibility to f- to fill that left field hole, and it's a huge hole. Yeah, it's a giant hole. I, I saw something terrifying the other day, which was a picture of the Reds' depth, depth chart, and, and Skip Schumacher oh. was listed first in left field. Oh. <laughs> hold on, hold on, my head hurts. I'm getting a pain right in my temple. Oh, I my do you need to? Do, do we need to take a break? <laughs> we might need to. We might do, too. I mean, uh, if, if the Reds are starting Skip Schumacher in left field every day, I mean, if, if that's what they're going to do, I think it's fire sale time. I mean, you know, it, but I don't think that's what they're going to do, and I don't think anybody is. Um, it's kind of interesting. I wrote a report, uh, a post for Red Leg Nation, I don't know, probably a month or so ago, um, outlining kind of like, well, what if Jockety did this? And, you know, I was like, you know, there, there seem to be a lot of outfielders on the market. And there do still. I mean, a lot of them have, have moved, but there still seem to be a lot of outfielders either available for trade or available to sign. And I was like, you know, why not hold off and not overpay for, for an outfielder and, and worry about your middle infield, which is the other place you could really stand to improve. And, and, you know, so far he's done that. And I don't necessarily have a problem, especially with Winker sitting out there. And I think probably pretty close to ready. I'd be really surprised if we had to wait past 2016 to see, uh, to see Jesse Winker. Um, and I, like I said, I'd, I'd run him out there now probably if it were me. But, um, you know, why not wait until spring training gets close and some guys are getting nervous and might sign a little cheap one-year deal, you know, to try to, then jump into a better contract the next year, you know, and, and get somebody. He, you know, Jockney's had success with that kind of thing before, and I don't. If he does it right, I don't necessarily have a problem with him doing it. He just can't wait too long. Yeah, I mean, you think about a guy like Nelson Cruz last year uh, that uh, waited late and ended up having to sort of settle for an offer, and uh, and Baltimore got a huge uh, 
benefit out of that. Maybe, you know, I think a lot of Reds fans were hoping for a splash because everybody on earth understands that left field is the big problem in Cincinnati. And it's even a bigger problem now given the fact that they uh, sent Ludwig on his way and that they traded Chris Heisey to left field, you know, or to left field, to uh, Los Angeles. I'm really having problems here. This is like the 12th (laughs) time we've done this podcast, and I can't even speak correctly. Chad and I are both slap happy, so everybody. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Forgive us. We're going to do a really good podcast soon. I'm going to have Jason back on. um, uh, But, yeah, I mean, you know, Chris Heisey, as we've discussed before, he's not a starter, and he should not be a starter. Um, no, he's but, a good. He's a he's a decent option as a fourth or fifth exactly. outfielder, and I liked having him around. I, I didn't have any problem with Chris Heisey, but, but he's he's not your starter. No, but he's still a heck of a lot better than Skip Schumacher. <laughs> well, you know that's really that's, damning with faint praise. Right, there. right, it is. But you know, to and that's where they're at now. So so it's going to be an interesting interesting to see, you know, what the Reds do there. And 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 boy, Winker sure looks like he can hit to me. I mean, and you know, one of the things I, I do want to point out to everybody um, is that you've got to be careful looking at. at at war or war, however you say it, for wins above replacement, um, with left fielders, especially because the Reds have have Hamilton and they have Jay Bruce on who on his knee should be his new knee should be fine now, um, having had time to recover, and that's a lot of range in the oh. outfield. So you can you can you can absorb some bad defense from left field. You know Hamilton's going to get to a lot of stuff uh, that that those left fielders are not going to have to worry about. So let him go run and, and catch stuff, and just let the left fielder hit as long as they. As long as they're above average with the bat, I don't care how bad they are in the field. Well, and you, you've mentioned that you could probably squint your eyes and be okay with Winker in left field, but you're talking about above average offensively. I'm not sure that Winker is ready to be above average offensively. He could probably be adequate. And so if, if, if that's what you're going with in left field, uh, you know, let's not expect too much out of this offense. Uh because they weren't good last year, and uh, they maybe get an upgrade at shortstop offensively, possibly. And and and. But it is, you know. yeah, and they weren't. But you know, you you. Uh, in in take one, you pointed out that I, I said that I was pretty optimistic, and I, and and the reason is because if you told all Reds fans, you know, right before the season started last year that they'd get basically nothing from Bruce or Votto, we would have just been like, okay, well, season's over. We'll we'll try again next year. Um, and they didn't, you know, if, if, and neither of them were healthy and Bruce played a lot, but I don't think he was ever really healthy, uh, all the way, or at least not often. And, and Votto certainly was hurt basically the entire year. If those two are still hurt again, yeah, it's, it's bad news. But if Votto and Bruce play and are healthy more often than not, and you've got a, you know, you've got Bruce and Votto and Frazier and Mesoraco, then that's, that's a pretty solid top four. I mean, I think the offense stands to improve just by virtue of, of, it's almost hard to imagine the team being less healthy than it was offensively last year. Um, yeah, and I've I've said multiple times, uh, pretty vocal about uh, the fact that uh, hope, you know, hoping guys are going to be healthy. Hope is not a strategy, but it's really not that big a stretch to think Jay Bruce is going to be better. If Jay, I can't imagine, frankly, any scenario under which a healthy Jay Bruce is not a huge improvement over the, whoever that guy was that we had out in right field. For most of this year, because uh, that wasn't Jay Bruce. You got to think Billy Hamilton's going to be better. Uh, you got to think that Joey Votto uh, is going to be better. Now, a lot of that depends on Votto and Bruce being healthy. But you know, you're paying these guys a lot of money to uh, play baseball, and if they're healthy, there's no question in my mind that we have improved immediately at first base and right field. 
And uh, just given you know, the arc of most people's career and the fact that uh, that Billy Hamilton, who I will note, as we'll talk about in a moment, Billy Hamilton is uh, the villain in your uh, your novel you're coming out. Uh, I'm really trying to pin you with that. No. But Billy Hamilton's going to be better. He was young. He's going to be better. The Reds making an upgrade offensively at shortstop. And all of a sudden, this offense looks like goes from one that was really – and, again, we're I'm being optimistic. I'm looking at my Pete Rose-colored glasses, but – you don't have to squint too hard to see this offense being better. You're right, and uh, for a number of reasons. So you, even if the Reds go with Winker, and, and I hope they can make a splash and find a really good hitter. I don't know that it's going to be Nori Aoki who they're talking about, or uh, from Kansas City, or Michael Morse with uh, with San Francisco. I don't know if it's either of those guys. That's the only got names that are sort of yeah. know, seriously discussed. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know if those guys are uh, a huge upgrade either way, but you can talk yourself into believing that with Winker starting in left field, that this team still better offensively. Well, so you know, I'm gonna, hey, I'm gonna pull something out on you. I just looked this up kind of while you were talking, and and just, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you, a, a, give you some lines, all right, and I want you to see if you can guess who player uh, A is and who player B is, all right. So play oh, it's a quiz, right? Player A, their slash line is 317 average, 426 on base percentage, 580 slugging percentage. I'm going to tell you both these players are the same age, okay? And then player B, uh, we've got a 325 average, a 379 on base percentage, and a, and a 586 slugging percentage. So almost identical, right? Pretty close. Right. Better on base percentage uh, from from the from the first fellow there. You got any guesses? Oh my goodness! Are they both current player, major league players? No, I didn't think so. Because uh, if those guys are available, I want both. I'll of them. put you out of your misery. Uh, Tell those me. are the the player A is Jesse Winker as a twenty year old in uh, high A. Player B is Jay Bruce as a twenty year old in high A. Wow, wow! And I, I you know, I'd, I'd almost have, I'd have to take Jesse Winker's numbers there because he's on base. Yeah. He walks more. You know? Yeah, and, and and his play discipline has never been a question no. so, from the very first day he set uh, foot in professional baseball. Jay Bruce was the starting outfielder for the Reds, um, you know, less than two years after that. Less, you know, but, about a year after that, he was he was he was starting in in right field for the Reds. So, you know, you're saying how hard do we have to make ourselves squint? You know, I kind of discount Jesse Winker's numbers in Double A last year because he was hurt. The way he destroyed the fall league, ah, I don't know. I, I think he'd be all yeah, right. He I think did. he might be all right. We'll see. You know, we don't, we, and it's not going to happen anyway. It's just my pipe dream. But Well, probably true. And, and the issue, really, frankly, is that uh, we're talking about uh, we've had this discussion about the Reds' window closing, and this might be the last year really to make a big push. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I've publicly said I don't know that I wouldn't, uh, if I were Walt Jockey, that I wouldn't, uh, you know, Hope <laughs> it's not a strategy, but hope that their guys stay healthy because they've got some decent talent. But uh, still, you're talking about the twenty-year-old Winker versus twenty-year-old Bruce. I don't have any doubt in my mind that Winker's going to be a decent major league player at some point. Um, the question is, is that the guy you want in left field with a team that you're hoping is your 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 uh, chance to really make a playoff yeah. push. Well, and, and you do always, if you're a mid-market team, there's always that bit of hope, right? Because that's the mid-market teams never have the depth. They can't, right. they can't sustain the injuries the way some of the some of the higher payroll teams can, and that's that's what happened to the Reds last year, right? I mean, it's just everyone got hurt, yeah. and if everyone gets hurt, that's it. You're out of luck. Um, yeah, no doubt. I just, uh, well, and, and and what you said a moment ago is correct. I don't think there's any way 
unless absolutely Jockley strikes out on every other front, that Winker is is a legit shot to start yeah. in left field. And so that's a, that's a pretty big. Let's let's just presume for a moment that that Winker's not going to start in left field. That's a pretty big hole still to fill, and so Jockley has made some uh, some moves this week and maybe put the Reds in a little bit of financial shape where they can uh, fill that hole. Yeah. But there's some there's something to watch still uh, yeah, in mean, terms of the Reds offseason because that they've got to do something. They, yeah, they've got some money to spend. I, I, you know, if if I'm out there and I'm a uh, I'm a replacement level player who might not be able to find a contract, I'm calling the Reds and asking about a two year deal right now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, shut up. <laughs> Uh, well, actually, that's something that I'll be honest with you, concerns me a little bit is that, uh, w- you know, we said that we didn't think that Skip Schumacher is a starting left fielder for the Reds once it starts. But I'm not entirely sure that Jockety doesn't have an inflated opinion of the Skip Schumacher because, after all, he did play for the Cardinals at one time. Um, and, uh, Cardinals and, players and, who were never that good five years later. Right. Like, yeah. Oof. And I'm afraid that uh, that Jockety might be content to to go with him. I, that now the and I will concede the actual evidence doesn't uh, doesn't fall in line with that because you'd think if you were going to go with a, a guy named like Schumacher, you wouldn't toss away Chris Heisey for nothing because yeah. uh, Heisey could uh, could help. So I still think there's something to happen. But what if he can't? Uh, you know, one thing we discussed uh, in one of these podcasts that haven't been recorded is that there's so much we don't know about uh, what goes on. And, and Joel Luckup, who's often on these podcasts with me, is something he and I have talked about, or that uh, we, I really believe that Jockey tried really hard to improve the left field position before last season. And you can't always make something happen. You know, you, uh, there are negotiations and there are trade talks, and you just can't force other teams to deal with you uh, sometimes. And uh, sometimes it's not possible to upgrade when you want to. Uh, I don't know if there's anybody out there that's a free agent right now that uh, is a huge upgrade over what the Reds had in left field. Oh, there are there are some, again, but it's easier said than done yeah. to improve there. I worry I worry that Jockey's not going to be able to improve it, and then if that's the case, you're right. Let's just do a fire sale because this team can't compete without uh, without a bat in left field. I, you know, I think you could live with somebody like uh, Ioki for, for a year. Um, yeah. You know, you know I, I don't have any any issue with that. He'll get on base. He's not. He doesn't have any power, but um, but he'll get on base enough, which is which is really what the Reds need. I mean, you know, when they're healthy, you know, Votto, Bruce, Frazier, Mazzarocco, that that's plenty of power. You don't, you know, especially in today's offensive environment, which I think a lot of people still haven't adjusted to. You know, they see twenty, twenty-five home runs, and they think that's not very good. Well, it, actually, in today's game, that's really good. Um, you know, twenty-five home runs is a lot of power for today's game. So. I think the Reds are fine there um, with with power. It's just they need somebody to get on base. They can't have those three black holes down at the bottom of the order. Yeah, no, I I, I agree, I, and I, I could live with Ioki as well. Again, it's a we may be just trying to cross our fingers and, and hope for better this year, but uh, he'll be better than what the Reds had in left field last year. And and when you talk about getting on base. Uh, that was a huge problem to Reds. I think they were third from the bottom mm-hmm. in on-base percentages and offense. And you, you had, uh, uh, oh, see, now his name's uh, Eugenio uh, um, Suarez. Suarez, yeah. there, we there we go. go. Yeah. Oh, it's just entirely <laughs> too late to be doing a third version <laughs> of this podcast. But, um, yeah, you add him to, uh, to Aoki in left field, and all of a sudden, you know, again, sometimes we talk about squinting our eyes, but... They'll get on. They should get on base more, and, and a healthy Jay Bruce and a healthy Joey Votto. 
drive them in. Yeah. I could see how this offense could uh, could do better, and, and and the pitching. We don't have Latos anymore, but I'm not. Uh, I don't think the Reds are going to have a, a poor rotation. Yeah, and well, and, so. yeah. I mean, kind of the the crux of that post I was talking about on Red Leg Nation was that. You know, maybe the Reds shouldn't be worrying about concentrating value at the bottom of their rotation. Because if your goal is to make the playoffs, your fourth and fifth starter don't really matter in the playoffs. Your fifth starter doesn't right. matter at all. So you put put your if you if you've got value there that you can turn into value in left or at shortstop or whatever, do it because those are gonna you know if you're gonna make the playoffs, you know it doesn't matter where your wins come from in the regular season. It matters in the playoffs because you're because it's a different game. Um, so yeah, I think I, you know, I can squint and I can see it. I squint pretty hard because you know, one thing we haven't <laughs> talked about yet is that all of a sudden the Cubs are, uh, the Cubs, Chad, the Cubs look scary. The Cubs. Are we, are we really just saying that? It's true, yeah, but I, yeah. I can't believe we're saying that. It is true though. I mean, I'm a little bit scared of the Cubs. <laughs> I'm more scared of the Cubs than I am of the Brewers or the Pirates. I'll say that. Absolutely. Um, and I, again, I can't believe we're saying that, but. The Cubs, we've we've been saying for a while that the Cubs are, uh, you know, a club that probably starting in 2016, oh my goodness, they're going to, you know, be the, the talk of the Central. Well, all of a sudden, it looks like 2015 might be, be that year, you know. They, uh, they seem to have decided that they are ready now. Well, they got all that talent in the upper levels of the, of the minor leagues that's getting close to being ready for the majors, and some of them, some of those guys have already popped up in the majors. But then they go and sign John Lester, and it's clear they think. Uh, and the uh, the catcher, they uh, oh, I can't remember his name now, um, that they acquired. But uh, yeah, it's pretty clear they think that they're cl- very close. And so, yeah, I mean we're. I'm absolutely, without question, more concerned about them than I am about the uh, the Brewers, who I thought overachieved last year, and the Pirates, who I just don't, I'm not, don't know what yeah, to make of the, the Brewers, of, of the Brewers last year were, were one of my great calls. I think it was like the middle of May, and I started being like, no, the Brewers aren't legit. I don't buy it. They're going back to the pack. And, and you know, even some other Red Leg Nation editors were like, no, no, the Brewers are real, and had I was right. <laughs> yeah, you're the, you're the first to say that. Absolutely, and there's no question. There. And well, I just no. looked at that roster, and I was just like, no, this, this, I don't. It's not here. They're just getting lucky. Um, and and they yeah, were. No, they, that's not a good team. Um, and I still don't think they're a good team. I think I think the Brewers might are probably start coming next season. They look to me like the worst team in the in the Central. Uh, I think they've got. Uh, I think fifth place has the Brewers' name stamped on it right now. Um, hopefully, yeah. they'll have the Reds' name stamped on it because that's all possibility if, if Bruce and Votto don't rebound but uh but right now yeah the, the Brewers I'm not worried about and the Pirates well as, as I said before the Pirates are are the uh, the anti-reds right they've got the offense all plugged in but they don't have the pitching mm-hmm. no they don't yeah they depended on our old buddy uh um Edison Volquez uh, <laughs> entirely too much last year so clearly they don't have the pitching yeah. but I could see a scenario where the Brewers fall fade away, but that the Reds and uh, and Pirates and Cubs are all fighting hard for for number two. Um, and maybe maybe I'm just uh, maybe I'm overestimating the Cardinals as well. But the Cardinals are what they are. They lost a uh, just uh, I hated Oscar Tavares. That that whole story yeah, was just that was heartbreaking. Terrible. But you know, uh, as much as we don't like them, and as obnoxious as their fan base is, at, at this point, I think you just have to have to take the Cardinals seriously until they give you reason not to. Well, they got a guy that I love, Jason Hayward. Now yeah. all of a sudden, yeah. and, oh, that uh, was a big trade. Yeah, so yeah, I got to think they're the they're the leaders in the clubhouse. So um, 
But, you know, the Reds aren't... Again, maybe we're squinting. Maybe we're trying to look at it through, as I said, Pete Rose-colored glasses. But things go well. The Reds could... I could see a scenario where the Reds compete not only for the, the Central Championship, but... Uh, are a pretty good, pretty good team, but this may be the last year that we can can squint yeah, and see that. It may be, yeah. and I th- it's just health. If the Reds are healthy, I think they're okay. If they're if they're healthy, they're they're in the running for a wild card. If if things break right, the division. If they're not healthy, then it's a whole other story. Well, as we saw this past year, they just don't have the depth to yeah. be able to, to uh, recover from any kind of uh, health issues. Now, let me ask you this question because it's been bandied about a little bit. The Reds are uh, have uh, openly stated that they're taking calls. They're not necessarily shopping. Or Aldis Chapman, but they're taking calls, and that's something I've said for I don't know two and a half years now. When it became clear that the Reds were not going to put uh, Ch- Chapman in the rotation, trade that guy. Yeah. His his value, his perceived value, seems to me to be much more than the actual value he he provides to the I, Reds in you know sixty innings. I couldn't agree more. Trade him, trade him now. I love watching him pitch. He's so much fun. Love him, but. Yeah. But he, he his save percentage is the same as Coco Cordero's. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's not he's not bringing anything to the table. He gets there in a different way, yeah, but yeah, yeah but it, the results are the same. Yeah. So trade him. Go get get a left fielder for him, or or a, you know a prospect, or or a, a fourth or fifth starter, or whatever. But trade him. Trade him now. And 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 yeah, do it. Trade him. Yeah. He's a guy that I had hoped that the Reds could uh, get a guy like, and again, we talk about Oscar Tavares again, who uh, the Cardinals, big uh, prospect, just on the verge. He was with the Cardinals this year, but he was a big-time prospect. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the type of guy I was like, man, go trade him for a guy like that that's just on the verge of being a major league player that uh, and, and a potential major league star and uh, could maybe fill that uh, left field hole for the Reds for the next you know five six seven years. Go go get a guy like that. Even though I love Chapman, absolutely. You know he comes in, the music starts playing, and he throws 102 miles an hour and blows everybody away. I love it. I'm a, as big an Aroldis Chapman fan as you're going to find. Man, 60 innings a year. You can if people think he's as uh, important to a club as uh, as some teams as the Reds maybe even think that he is. You gotta think he has some value on the trade market. So, you know, don't trade him for anything, just anything. But man, if he's an asset that you've got that you can deal, upgrade this team because we can let uh, somebody else uh, close. Uh, we'll find, where's Coco Cordero these days? Let's get him back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, though I will say, and, and you kind of alluded to this, it, 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 I, I'm not down on Walt Jockety like a lot of people are, but he does seem to overvalue really pitching. Um, he really does seem to, to think that it's important to have a really expensive bullpen and i just I, you know I, the reds supposedly are having payroll issues and they wouldn't be having payroll issues if he'd stop throwing money at relief pitchers um you know that's and and so yeah but i mean i agree trade cordero get you know plug somebody in assume you'll be fine at closer or whatever and uh and then go from there i mean it would be and it would be a different story if you had chapman and you were willing to use him creatively and bring him in you know, basically anytime you have a one-run lead after the sixth inning, bring in Chapman against the middle of the order. Do that, and then... Yeah, but they're not going to do no, that. No, they're not. But if they did, that would, you know, I would be, say, keep him, because that's, mm-hmm. you know, he'll sure. he'll get you through the middle of the order probably nine times out of ten or better. Um, so do that. But, but they're not going to do that, so trade him. Yeah, you know, even... That that's exactly the way I, I feel about Chapman. I love that guy. I would I'd love to see him be a red for the rest of his career. But uh, the role they've placed him in is it's ludicrous. They're just wasting what is a, an exceptional talent there. I wanted him to be a starter. 
but I agree with you, with what you just said. If you could use him creatively out of the bullpen, there are uh, scenarios that I could envision where this guy could be amazing. Uh, we talk about Goose Gossage, maybe you know, back in the day, going back to a more uh, traditional usage of, of relievers. Bring him in the sixth or the seventh. Bring him in whenever that that moment is in a game where you need your best pitcher. And the, I had high hopes that Brian Price would be willing to do that. He's not. He's no, never going to no, be. I, I, I've, I, no. Which you know, you can't hardly blame uh, Price because there, how many managers are like that? Possibly the Cubs' new manager. But uh, again, to get back to the Cubs, but. If the Reds are not going to use him in a situation which where he really helps the team uh, substantially, I would just as soon see them deal him and take the fact that he's got this this value that he's such an asset and and use it to improve the club somewhere else where you, you may get something that helps helps the Reds. So I don't I don't want Chapman to be traded, but if you're going to use him just strictly as a ninth inning role, uh, I would deal him. I, I, I would deal him and, and improve the, the team elsewhere. I, and I hate—I feel bad saying that, frankly. Well, but I think you know, for each of us, our oldest Chapman is on kind of our ideal team. But you know, you don't get your ideal team. So, right, get, exactly. You know, let's get the best team we can have. Yeah, if I'm running the team, uh, he's absolutely, without question, on the uh, on the 25-man roster. But I'm requiring the manager to use him differently than mm-hmm. uh, than the Reds have been willing to and. Maybe given the current state of baseball, maybe it's unreal, unrealistic to think that they would require, or require Brian Price to, to use him as such. So, um, so that's a chip that's out there. Although he may be the only uh, reliable reliever, especially since the Reds non-tendered Logan Andrusek, who I know was your favorite player. Oh my God! Uh, so long for the Reds. But, you know, it's funny you said you use the term reliable reliever, and that's always my beef when, when Jockety gives out these contracts, is I don't think there's such a thing as a reliable reliever. You know? Yeah, that, that, that's something that doesn't exist, Paul. Right. It's, you know, you get to go, you know, Sean Marshall, boy, he sure looked like money in the bank. Best How's reliever in baseball for like the three-year period before coming to the <laughs> right. race. Really, and, if you look then, at it. And then, you know, his shoulder got hurt or whatever. You know, Nick Massett had several good years for us, and then his shoulder acted up. And, it, it, and it just happens all the time. It happens all over baseball. Um, well, there's such a thing as a reliable reliever, but the problem is you don't necessarily know year to year who that who that guy's going to well, be. There was, and but so, he retired. His name was Mariano Rivera. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and but other than him, it's it's rare for a guy to be, uh, I would say, quote unquote, reliable for more than two or three years in a row. You just don't know who's going to be. Yeah. And a lot of times, the the better relievers that are the most reliable, you pick those guys up uh, off the scrap heap sometimes. Well, and then, um, you know, and sometimes so much of it plays in with, with luck. You know, Logan Andrusik, I, I, I'm going to look now. I, I was, don't look at Andrusik's numbers. You don't want to do that to yourself late on a on a good. Sunday evening. No, I, I am. But I think, yeah, like last year, his peripherals, in the last two years, his peripherals were not terrible. Um, not as bad as I <laughs> But his results were bad. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know. <sighs> yeah. I, I think it's it's easier. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe looking at what the the Royals did last year either proves my point or argues against. It. I don't know. I, I think it's easier, frankly, to build a bullpen than any other position uh, or any yeah. other uh, segment of a team uh, because you can get these guys anywhere, and uh, that doesn't mean that you can take just anybody and do it. But uh, throw what you've got at the I, wall and see what sticks. I mean, yeah, yeah. If it doesn't, you've always got Curtis Parch. Well, no, I don't have that anymore. So, <laughs> but uh, so uh, so trader all this if you're not going to use him the way I want him used. And if you don't use him the way I want him used, then 
you know, you're wrong. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> if, if if what Chad and Jason say is not what you think, you're wrong. That's, exactly. That's, if you take anything away from this podcast, that should be the lesson. No, well, probably not. If you want to take one thing away, it should be go buy this book. Okay, uh, that. But that number two second is, thing, is that we're right about everything. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, you know, uh, this team is, I want to use the word frustrating. They are frustrating, but uh, at some point you kind of wish they were uh, either rebuilding or, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to make of them. I think they could, I don't know whether it's just me being a fan but I think they could be okay this year, and and uh, and and it got me a little bit, if not excited, a little interested in watching what happens the rest of this off season because uh, there's there's a chance, I guess. And I, well, you know, this is the best run of teams that we've had since the mid nineties. So <laughs> yes. you know, so given that, you know, I'll give them I'll give them the benefit of the doubt for one more year. If they turn in another year like next year, it's time to start selling. But um, but uh, yeah, one more year if they can if they can stay healthy, I think they'll be all right. And I, boy, I have, Jay Bruce. People forget this. He's going to be twenty eight years old this year, right? Oh, twenty eight. Wow. There's no way he doesn't bounce back. I think last year was an anomaly that was aided by injury. Um, I, I just, I, you know, and, and Joey Votto, if he's healthy, will hit. And even if he's not healthy, he'll get on base, right? Like right. you know, even even when he, he was hurt last year and playing poorly and by Joey Votto standards, but he's still. You know, and his he still had a three ninety on base percentage and almost three hundred plate appearances. So wow. you know, and that then that's and that's when he could barely walk. So uh yeah, well, I, I mean that in the in the physical sense, uh, in the baseball sense he could still walk quite well. Um but <laughs> Right. Well think about this. Uh, you know, again, hope is not a strategy. I'm not suggesting that it is, but the Reds last year offensively were were pretty bad. But let's think about replacing uh, Brian Pena, <laughs> for example, at first base, yeah. uh, who who played not that much at first base, but played some. Uh, Brian Pena at first base, and I don't know who to compare Jay Bruce to. He was awful. Yeah, replace right Jay field, Bruce but, of last year with Jay Bruce of the year before. Right, <laughs> and, and replace uh, Pena at first base with with Joey Votto. Those are two huge. Upgrades and, and, and you know Mizoraco was hurt a few times last year. Hamilton was hurt mm-hmm. some, um, and then you replace Cozart with with Suarez, and and you get somebody in left field who's still breathing. And and I, and I you know, it, it's not it's not that hard to imagine a, a, an offense that at least can can shout at average. I've said ten times that that hope is not a strategy, but on the other hand, what we're talking about are uh, these aren't pop dreams or fantasies. I mean, these are within the realm of possibility that these guys come back to the guys we expect them to be, and uh, and that makes the offense immediately uh, yeah. upgraded over what we saw. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it, it really, you know, and as, you know, one of the things also is as bad as the Reds were last year, it's kind of during the kind of there's nowhere to go but up situation. You know, we, we've talked about how, you know, maybe Suarez doesn't look, he's, he's not going to hit like Joey Votto, right? But, but at the same time, he doesn't have to hit like Joey Votto. He just has to hit better than Zach Cozart, right? <laughs> that's, exactly. not, that's not such a tall order for, for a Major League Baseball player. Um, you know, whoever ends up in left field, they don't have to hit like Joey Votto to help the team. They just have to hit better than the assortment of cold bodies that were in left field last year. <laughs> right. And that's not such a tall order. That should be, that should be something that can happen. <laughs> Uh, Joe Lugup and I had a, a did a podcast uh, early last year, and, and 
the, basically the, the whole podcast was we choose to be optimistic. We choose to be positive. And I don't think, again, a lot of it's going to depend on whether Jockey can do anything with left field. But, man, there are reasons to think that it, this may be the last year. Mm-hmm. This may be the, the window may be closing. This may be the last time we can say this. But I don't know that it's not the right strategy to, to, to hope everybody can be healthy, fill left field, um, and, uh, you know, take another go at this. It's not like the Cardinals, even though we expect them to be the, the, the top team in the Central or the the leader going into the season. It's not like they are, you know, the 1927 Yankees no, not, or the big red yeah. machine. I mean, the Cardinals have holes, but what's interesting about yeah. the Central is that there's, there aren't any teams that you look at and you think that team is outright terrible. If everybody has holes. There are teams that are clearly better than, than others, but there aren't terrible teams. Um, no, it, They've all got flaws, uh, and but they've all got. Uh, it could be a fun year, frankly. Yeah, and you know, as as fans, you know, you said you and, and Joel kind of made the statement that you choose to be optimistic. Why not? I don't understand the people out there who seem to be the sports fans purely to be angry. Like it's just, <laughs> well, why if, if it's making your life that bad? Why are you watching? It's supposed to be fun. Yeah. Baseball's supposed to be fun, right? Yeah. Even last year where the Reds were awful, you know, uh, I didn't enjoy watching the Reds. But, man, baseball, baseball's fun. It's, I've got so much other nonsense going on in, in other areas of my life and, and stresses and things like that. Man, why not enjoy it and, and why not hope for the best out of the Reds? We love this team, uh, you know, and if they don't, if they screw it up, well, whatever. They screwed it up. Yeah. It's baseball. Well, but if they don't, you know, you, know, you, can almost, you can almost always find something. I mean, you know, boy, it was terrible to watch the Reds last year, but it sure was fun watching Devin Mazarocco. Right, you know, yeah. That was nice. Was and Cueto. Cueto. You know, I, there was a time in the season where I kind of just stopped paying attention unless Johnny Cueto was pitching. But, uh, boy, I was tuned in for every Johnny Cueto start, you know. Yeah. Um, Listen, the Reds were awful last year. I paid actual United States tender to go to the last two games of the season. Uh, and, and the reason I went to the last one was strictly because Johnny Cueto was going for that 20th win. And who cares about 20 wins? But I wanted to watch and took my kids and we watched Johnny Cueto and, you know, had a good time. Heck, I, I saw six Reds games last year, and they were undefeated. So uh, if the Reds are listening, they really need to get season tickets for me. They need to get me. you on the payroll. <laughs> right, but um, baseball's fun. The Reds have a chance of being – yeah, I don't understand the anger. That's your word you used a moment ago, and we see it so much because we spend so much time on Twitter. But people are angry when the Reds don't do well. This is this is not life or death. It's fun. Yeah. Go Reds, you know, and, and again, I choose to be optimistic. Yeah, let's, and you know, like I said, it's it's not that hard to talk yourself into the Reds being a wild card team next year. Um, you know, this is a team that God, what did they win in 2013? Like what, 91 games or something? Yeah, you know, yeah. And then low nut. That's not that. That's not that long ago. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. You, you know, they're they're probably true talent level is somewhere between those two, right? So if they get a little Absolutely. bit better, if they get a little better this year, then yeah, maybe you know, 90 wins could happen. 80, 87, 88 certainly could happen. Um, well, you are choosing to be optimistic, I, I, but uh, yes, sure. <laughs> um, well, here's what I want to be optimistic about uh, this this novel you've written. Um, really hope all of you go out and uh, and, and purchase it. And um, again, when the sparrow sings, uh, terrible. That was a terrible segue into it. But uh, we've this thing is actually looks like it's recorded this entire podcast. We might actually get to publish it, and I don't want to. I don't want to test uh, fate, right. but. Uh, but but I do want to get back to the to the book um, before we finish up here, Jason. I, I I'm so excited for you. I think that it, this is uh, people. Are, if you listen to this podcast, you're already a baseball fan, and so you're gonna you're gonna love this thing. Buy it, 
purchase it as a gift for people for Christmas. Um, more than anything, just go read the thing because um, uh, I, I'm excited about the possibilities here. Anything else you want to say about uh, about when the sparrow sings before we before we close shopping? Well, up well I do want to emphasize that Billy Hamilton is not the villain. <laughs> the villain does play center field, if there is, but he's not Billy Hamilton. Billy Hamilton seems like a a fine, upstanding young man, and I'm, I'm sure he's delightful. Um, and I'm sure that Billy Hamilton listens to this podcast. Right. Yeah, so, I'm, so, I'm totally, so Billy, yeah, sure. we all love you. We all think yeah. you had you know ups and downs your rookie year, but you're young, and we think you're going to be a good player. We love you. You're um, not the villain. But the other thing is, and I and I may well be repeating myself here from earlier, but I can't. Who can remember I, what we said in the three times remember. we recorded this? But if people are reading it and they're interested and they like it, comment and we'll we'll comment on the or if you're potentially interested, comment on this. I'd love to hear what people think. And I, you know, if, if enough people are interested, we'll do some sort of book club or, or, or we'll do a discussion chat or something like that at some point. Yeah. Um, so if you're interested, if you're interested, let us know. And if I'm repeating myself, Chad can just edit that out later. <laughs> no, I can't because I'm going to uh, get this thing. Uh, I'm going to edit a little bit, but I'm going to do whatever I can to get it uploaded because uh-huh. um, we love talking about the Reds here. But I'm excited about a, a member of our family here at, at Red Lake Nation having published a, a baseball novel and um and, and, and guys, you all have been – we're coming up in February on our 10th anniversary of Red Lake Nation. You guys have been amazing uh, to me personally and, and to Red Lake Nation. And Jason's been uh, – he's a member of our family. And I hope all of you will go and, and support this project and uh, do what you can to get the word out, uh, whether it's by tweets or just word of mouth, because uh, – you know, we, we say, hey, we want to support one of our own here. But on the other hand, this is a great product. This is going to be a lot of fun to read. And uh, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to do what I can, but uh, I'm not doing anything. You did the hard work here. And, and, and Jason, uh, fingers crossed. Best of luck, man. Yeah, thank you. And I, and I appreciate it. And I appreciate it to, uh, um, you know, everybody out there who kind of listens to me blather on about stats and things at times. But this is, this is non-stat Jason. This is, uh, this is writer Jason. And I hope you all like it. And, uh, I hope it does well, and, and it's available as of Monday, which is probably when you're hearing this. So if you're hearing it, you can go buy it. You can go to Amazon and buy it. Uh, you can go to Hardball Times and buy it. It's out there. Go for it. Absolutely. Go right now. Go right now and buy it. I'm going to have links up uh, in the post to this. going to have links up uh, to everywhere you can go and purchase it. Uh, Jason, um, we're hopeful about the Reds. We choose to be optimistic about the Reds. We choose to be optimistic uh, about the, when the Sparrow Sings. Available at all your uh, finest of booksellers. Uh, click the links at uh, at Red Leg Nation here. Any final words for us, Jason? No, I think that's good. And and, and thank you, Chad, for putting up with me for the the three times it took us to get this done right. <laughs> no, it's my fault entirely. I appreciate you uh, being patient with me and apologize for the technical difficulties. Uh, I do love having the doing these podcasts. It's uh, uh, among my favorite things these days, and I look forward to having uh, Jason back on here. Go check out Jason Linden at Jason Linden, J-A-S-O-N-L-I-N-D-E-N, correct, uh, on Twitter, mm-hmm. at Jason Linden on Twitter. You can check me out if for some reason you might want to at uh, Dotson C, D-O-T-S-O-N-C on Twitter, uh, at Red Leg Nation uh, on Twitter where you can follow everything that's going on with the Reds. Obviously, go to RedLegNation.com, check out everything we've got going on, uh, all analysis of uh, – current Reds uh, action and uh, uh, what's going on in, in Reds world as the Reds seek to find a left fielder. We'll be following that story. Um, go by When the Sparrow Sings. Look below the, the post here. We're going to have all those links. Um, Jason, thank you so much, buddy. Thank you, Chad. 
And all of you all, I know you got a lot of things you could be doing with your uh, with your time, your entertainment time. I really, again, it amazes me that any of you actually download this thing and listen to it. But I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Go subscribe at iTunes. Leave us some, uh, leave us a review. Uh, rate us at, at iTunes. It helps uh, push it up in the in the search rankings. And stick with us. We're going to hopefully, as the as the new season comes uh, comes along here, we're going to have uh, get back on our regular schedule of a weekly podcast. Uh, thanks, guys. For Jason Linden, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone.